This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. One of these days, I will master the ability to complete a sentence. Scott Owen. Right, what would I know? I'm just the weekend host around here. And Adam Pace. Look, I think of what other choice you have. Starting now. One round down, 25 to go for the Brisbane Raw men's side. Hello, everyone. This is another edition of the Brisbane Football Review. It's James Scott and Adam with you on this fairly miserable, damp Wednesday evening here in the supposedly sunshine state. And we are proud to be on Clutch Radio, if that's how you're tuning in, as uh, we're on now, I think, our third, maybe fourth episode on our new broadcast partner. And very pleased to be on board with that as well. And we are also on A-League Live. And now, Scott, how was your weekend? Uh, it wasn't too bad, James. How was yours? It was pretty good. I actually enjoyed having the A-League men's comp to watch all weekend. I wound up catching, I think, probably the most football I've seen in a couple of seasons. How about you, Adam? Yeah, same. So, uh, welcome back to uh, to football at the national level. And uh, it was good to see. And, uh, yeah, uh, may, may long continue. Exactly. Well, we've got a few months to go in the competition. Obviously, it wasn't a perfect weekend across the board and we will go to our general league thoughts as the episode goes along but before we uh, get into that we'll do our usual plugs email brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com facebook the raw review you can also search for brisbane football review as it turns out twitter at bne football on those two social accounts you can find live coverage of every brisbane raw senior match men's and women's as well as Uh, select NPL matches when that gets back underway in the new year. And if you have any comments, questions, feel free to send us a message or email. If you're listening to us on podcast, it is available on Wooshka, iTunes, Spotify, and other good podcast platforms. I'm pretty sure that has covered everything. And of course, once again, we will say a big thank you to our overlords at Clutch. I mean, partners at Clutch. It took three weeks before I made Tyler a joke that'll get us taken off. <laughs> All right, I think that might be a uh, good sign. What wasn't a good sign, though, was the Raw starting their season off with a 2-1 defeat down at Amy, pa- Amy Park. However, it wasn't all doom and gloom from the Raw. It was a four-minute lapse in what was an otherwise solid performance against a team that, to be totally honest, I don't think many uh, people gave the Raw a real chance on, Adam. Yeah, look, uh, other than a five-minute patch here and, you know, and a five-minute patch there, it's sort of, it's a, it's a, not a bad performance. Obviously, you're never happy about about losing uh, about, about losing a game, but uh, there's there's plenty of, you know, positive signs and positive things you can take out of this, uh, considering it was round one against the defending champs. And that's where I keep coming back to. Like, you go back to last Wednesday's show, I gave the Raw, you know, next to no chance. I thought they would lose... 1-0, maybe 2-0. So the fact that they scored a goal was a step ahead of my expectations. But I don't know you, Scott, but it, that first half really did seem like the Raw were happy to just sit back and let Melbourne City come at them. Well, first they scored two goals, but we'll get to that later on in the show. But I think, <laughs> I think in the first half, you're right, they did sit back while Melbourne City came out of the blocks really strongly, didn't they? They had their front three starting, which we weren't quite sure if Naboo, McLaren and Leckie would all make the turnaround from the Socceroos to come back in, but they all did, and the first 20 minutes, yeah, the raw, the city had the raw really under the under the cost, didn't they? In terms of had a lot of possession and territory, but they didn't really do a lot with it, did they? It's not like City were creating an abundance of chances that had had Macklin Freak making a bunch of superb saves. It was more just possession and territory, wasn't wasn't it? So, well, they had a lot of that early on. The raw did have some level of control in their discipline and their shape, which made it difficult for Melbourne City. And as the half went on. I thought they started to create a couple of decent chances. You're right, it was really only that five-minute spell, wasn't it? Right at the back end of the first half where they switched off from a corner, which was, was pretty poor marking, in fairness, to leave the league's golden boot winner free in, free on the penalty spot, basically. That's that's always a recipe for disaster. And then they didn't really didn't really cope with that, did they? Because they conceded again straight away. So, But apart from that, they played really well the Raw in, for the majority of the game. They really did. I thought... They actually—I'm not sure if "control" is necessarily the right word I would use to describe them early on, but they looked assured and confident. Yes, a better word, yeah. Yeah, because like they were basically just doing everything they could to repel what is a very good Melbourne City attack that will probably only get better as the season goes along. But 
we did see them uh, start out with that back three slash five with uh, Scott Neville, Kai Truen and Anton Milnaric taking to the pitch, Adam. And it was a club debut for Milnaric at player number 189. What do you make of him? Look, I think he was solid. Um, every, everything we sort of expected. Obviously, he's no no Tom Alter, but you're not going to be able to replace you know, a player of Alter's pedigree and sort of, I guess, you know, even what he's shown in the, in the two seasons he's been in the A League and at, at the Raw. So he he sort of, he did he did well as far as uh, that it goes. And I think yeah, Raw. I think they came out with one game plan. To, you know, basically try and um, stifle. Melbourne City, and I think those those two goals right on, you know, half time or within, you know, half time. I think it sort of really sort of you know set them back almost where they had to go to Plan B, and that was actually start playing playing forward and you know actually look to create opportunities, and uh, it seemed to sort of you know do the trick a little bit. Meanwhile, Scott, at the other end of the pitch, uh, it was Nikola Milosevic and Cyrus Demi leading the line, and we're all really high on the potential of Demi. We think he's I. I think it's fair to say we all think that he is going to be a very, very good striker that probably won't be with the Raw for too many more years if he keeps going on the trajectory that he's on. But it was a rough outing for him where we've seen him just beating up on NPL defences for the last few months. But Melbourne City with, you know, Nuno Reish, Curtis Good, Scott Galloway, etc. They really made a, a rough night for him, didn't they? They did. They made it very difficult for him to get involved in the play in terms of holding the ball up, which we've seen him start to develop a bit in the back end of the NPL season. But there were a couple of opportunities for the Raw on the counter-attack, which I don't think any of the players in the front third really did take advantage of in the first half. I think Milley-Ulsnitz had some space a couple of times and weren't able to try and get him the ball. Demi had that great chance. Well, remember he did get in behind the City defence. I think it was about just before City got their first goal, they did get through, and he unfortunately had that heavy touch. That's the sort of space there. Where as he gets more and more experience, James, he's going to get better in that spot. And that's the sort of space where he can have real impact in this league where where City were pressing up on the raw and they had that space in behind. And he, they did exploit that in that moment quite well. Just in the back end of it, that final, that final touch in the box wasn't quite there on the night. But I thought, in general, he, was quite, he, was, he worked really hard, didn't he? And when you could see that when, when Ivanovic came on, he and Demi they did start to combine a bit better to me. So I thought that was... I thought he had a reasonable first game. I'd be intrigued to see what his role is when Lascano comes back, though. Just uh, just on Cyrus Demi, and I know Scott and I have talked about on the MPL show uh, numerous times. I, I I don't feel that you know Cyrus Demi playing as that hold-up striker is you're getting the best out of him. I've always seen the games that he's... I know, obviously, you're talking a level down um, in, into MPL, but the best games that we've seen Cyrus Demi have at MPL level is where he's not being beaten up by by the center center backs, where he's been able to allow to be to run onto the ball and and be able to to make to make runs at, at the defense, not trying to hold up and then pass on. Like I say, I'm not here to try and tell Warren Moon and his stuff how to go, uh, hey, coach him. But we just don't. I don't think that for mine. He, you get the best out of Cyrus Demi just playing up as a hold-up striker. I completely agree on that as well. I think he has shown, you know, he's very athletic, as is Mila Usnich as well, who I do think had a bit of a uh, rough game, rough outing. Uh, and truth be told, I would have had Mila Usnich coming off the bench trying to run at the City defence late on. Yeah, I agree with that. It wasn't his best. But just on Demi, just to clarify, when I was saying it's holding up the play, it was more when they were all were trying to get out in the first half. Yep. The work that Reese, Reese and Good were doing on him to prevent him from getting a clean touch to let the players around him get involved in and launching a counter-attack was very, very good from City's point of view. It made it hard for Demi. I, I do agree with Adam that when you get Cyrus in space, that's where you see the best version of him. Yeah, exactly. But uh, with the other other uh, striking roles, well, it was Mila Usenich. Um, leading the line. Do you feel like, Scott, maybe it should have been uh, Luke Ivanovic from the start because he does offer that slightly more rounded striker, whereas Milosevic is just so far from what I've seen an out-and-out burner? I was surprised he didn't start, actually, given... Well, I wasn't at the game of the week prior where they played against the NPL All-Stars, but he started in that game from memory and scored, so I was surprised that when he was on the bench and the impact he had when he came off the bench, Luke Ivanovic, was... Not necessarily immediate, but you could tell the impact he was having. He was he was better at that hold-up play than Demi was in terms of 
providing a focal point and it allowed Demi to go and play his more natural game. And you could just see the way the Raw were playing. It gave them a bit more of a foothold in the game. And that's, of course, where the goals came from. So he certainly had a massive impact coming off the bench, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And um, overall, I think like that was probably the only uh, point of contention I really had with that uh, starting lineup, which was, you know, they did everything they could. They executed uh, the game plan the right way. Unfortunately, only one goal was allowed in the second half when uh, perhaps it may not have been. We will talk about the scored goal first. And all we've got to say is uh, that combination from O'Shea to Ivanovic really paid dividends. Yeah, look, uh, Joe O'Shea you know, with, with you know, a great cross finding Luke Ivanovic, who's shown that you know, he, he can head a ball. And um, that, that's something in the past that you know, the Raw have to struggle with as far as you know, having a competent striker as far as you know, heading the ball goes. So they, it, obviously they, um, they sort of worked on that. And it was, yeah, it was a well-taken well uh, header to score. Yeah, absolutely. Um, meanwhile, we do need to get on to uh, this as well and talk about what should have been the equalising goal based on what we've seen thus far. Uh, another great ball by O'Shea that was headed home by Kai Truen, of all people. And it was ruled out for allegedly being offside, but I am still waiting for the uh, confirmation that it actually was offside, Scott. Uh, where do you want to start with this? you want to talk about the actual decision or the fact that those three letters weren't apparently working? Well, I will say, I don't blame the assistant referee for making that call in the first place because it live, it did look like it could have been a 50-50 thing. And seeing the replay, you can also kind of see where it wasn't overly clear. Yes, but isn't the advantage meant to go to the attacking player? And if you're in doubt, don't they train these days to keep their flag down and then the VAR will check it. And if it's an obvious error, it'll be corrected. So if there was any... Obviously, the assistant is saying he has no doubt that Kai Truman was offside in that moment. And looking at it from the, the still shots that you've seen, you can see in the and watching it back again on, on video, I don't know how you can be 100% certain that it is clearly offside. Because to me, it looks like he's onside anyway, but there's clearly at least some doubt. So I thought the decision would have been to let the goal be given and then check it. But again, again, I'm not going to be hypocrite about VAR because I've said on this show for about two years now I would scrap it and throw it into the nearest river. But if we're going to have it in there, surely that's the way you would use it. Yeah, and that's where the issue does pop up as well, where I, I can understand why the call was made. However, it wasn't the correct application of the laws as we have been, had them explained to us. And that's where I uh, really you know, find myself blowing up because it's just not good enough. However... Just to play devil's advocate here, and as I have said many a time on this show before, all these people who are suddenly uh, so happy to accept referees' mistakes and just saying, let the game play, we don't need VAR, how many of them were complaining about that mistake being made and just the game playing on from there? Yeah, look, I agree with Scott, and the fact is that... uh, so. Are we led to believe now that um, that the edict from last season where, where basically... If in doubt, the uh, the assistant referee keeps their flag down on offsides and whatnot um, has ended. That we're we're now back to having the assistant referees making decisions based on their view. Because look, at the end of the day, we're proven right or wrong. It's it, like I said, it's yeah. Look, it's one of those ones where you can accept it. You can accept the decision as far as the application. If, if, if they're going to back the assistant referee making the call, then yeah, I can live with that. But then to hear reports that VAR wasn't working, isn't working, they didn't bother checking, um, yeah, like I said, that, that's sort of where you're getting your scratching head saying, you know what, why, why, is it, why is it so complicated to, to get it right? You know, I'm, I'm, again, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to be one of those people who goes, oh, it should have been VAR check, you know, and blah and carry on because I, I'm like Scott. I'm I'm been against VAR for as long as it's in existence. I, I've been all for the you know the linesman and the uh, and the referee making the decisions. But you know what? All I want, all I'd like to know is okay. Does that mean in a you know in round two, are we going to see more linesmen making calls where they they they're going to call offside rather than keeping the flag down, letting VAR do the job for them? Yeah, the argument is, James, is that these things do balance out over the course of the season, right? And so now we've got 25 games to go. Let's see if it does balance out over that period of time. Because if the Raw miss the finals or something 
on the back of two points, you know where you're going to be looking straight back to, don't you, in particular? It'll be one of the first places that you look. So, let's see. I do, but um, based, haven't you been on the internet ever where, don't you know, every team always gets screwed by the referees all the time, ba- according to their respective fan bases? Of course. <laughs> but, let's, let's see if it does balance out. That's, the, that's yeah. the theory that people who make these arguments, right? So let's see if it happens. Yeah, I'm just... I still feel like you need some form of video review. However, the, the current VAR system, when it actually does work, just hasn't... Like, it hasn't uh, served its original purpose, which was to get rid of some of those clearly uh, obvious mistakes. From... Was it used at all in round one? Because I don't recall seeing it. It was used... I believe there was a penalty given in yeah. one of the games. I think it is being used sparingly, and I have seen some uh, reports coming out, or rumours, I should call them for what they are, coming out on the Twitter.com saying that it may not be... Uh, they are looking into re-examining the use, because... Look, Paramount Plus, they're, they're sending the resources to at least get VAR working. I think I saw every game is getting like 12 to 16 cameras or something. So there's the resources there to make it work, but it still needs to work. And yeah, I. it's not like the Raw didn't have chances as well following that. Obviously, they, I think Mili Usnich hit the post a couple of times. Daly had a clear-cut chance in stoppage time, which... You know, we're at round 10, maybe he buries uh, when he's not as rusty, but... They yeah, had the momentum, I, didn't they? They really did, but look, we can keep ranting on what was a clear and obvious stuff-up from VAR, and I will use the uh, VAR terminology for that, but let's hear what uh, Warren Moon had to say about the offside goal decision. Well, I haven't seen it back. Um, I've seen a couple of snapshots that were on the big screen, uh, and I'm really confused as to why when it's so tight and it's such a line ball decision, why the linesman would flag for it. Um, and I believe once that happens, then the decision can be different. So, look, I don't know. It looked to me looked like a good goal, but uh, like I haven't had a good look at it. So disappointing because I think not just that chance. We had another couple of chances to, to snatch something later on and we didn't take them. So. Um, but, look, I have to say I'm incredibly uh, proud of the boys and, and the effort they put in tonight. All right, that was Warren Moon after the uh, match. Scott, where do we get that audio from? Uh, that's from the official post-game press conference. Thank you. I just want to make sure we're crediting the right people here so we're not getting in trouble for using that. Yeah, but the Raw did finish with a really wet sail, and I was a little bit surprised that they didn't actually manage to uh, score what would have been an equalising goal. You know, I think that's probably the most, uh, aside from the uh, disallowed goal, I think that's probably the most encouraging thing going forward is that it wasn't like it was a 2-1 result where after that, Melbourne City just, you know, you know dropped anchor and they didn't look like anywhere near it. Raw genuinely looked like in the last 10 minutes, you know, had something fall in their way, you know, had they had a half opportunity, you know, come about, um, they, they, they did look like a team that, you know, that could equalise. With that said, you know, we've got, we've got to also, you know, credit Melbourne City, who probably are not at the peak of their powers, as far as we know, as a, as a, as a chance, but it's three points nonetheless for their, their title defence. And that's uh, the other point I wanted to uh, say as well on Melbourne City. They were well below their best in this game. The Raw, I don't think, were as good as we've seen them. But it was a bit of a testament as well to, you know, the attitude uh, that Warren Moon has been talking about all preseason, saying, you know, we're happy to be the underdogs and we will give it a go and, you know, really play on that uh, underdog tag. Absolutely. They all had to overcome a lot. And they will talk about the travel issues. They had to overcome all of that stuff. Then there was the issue with the second goal not being given. And still... In the 95th minute, Jesse Daly had that great opportunity, which went just past the post, James, to, which would have earned them an equaliser, which would have been absolutely fantastic for, for them for the season going forward. If they'd been able to get that equaliser, the confidence and the joy that would have given them, having overcome everything, to go away to the Champions on match day one and come away with something would have been outstanding. So you're right, to be that close and be playing to... I think it's, would you say they outplayed City in the second half? If yes. not, they were certainly very much... I thought they did for fair parts of it. Maybe across the board, it was a bit more even, but there was certainly a big part of that second half where the Raw were out playing the defending champions. So there's a lot of positives there, and there's still key players to come back into that side as well. So I think, well, it is a first-up defeat. There's a lot of positives there. The way I would probably describe the overall tenure of the match, I would say City uh, had the better of the first half, 
the Raw had the better of the second half. If you're scoring it like a boxing match, City uh, accumulated more points in the first half uh, than the Raw did in the second half. So City, you know, getting home by a point. Yeah, and that, that's that's probably the tail of the tape, I think, on... You know, as far as the match goes, I think City were, you know, much better side in the first half. I think the way the Raw was set up to go out and play, I think, uh, you know, then being down 2-0, they had to sort of chance a bit more, a couple of tactical changes, and all of a sudden it, it almost came off. So um, it's one of those games where, you know, if you could turn back the clock for the Raw, I think that maybe they, the way they go into that game and sort of the way they um, they set up is, is different, you know, and they, and they probably, you know, could... They don't concede those two goals, you know, in that five-minute period before half half time. Look, who knows what could have happened in the second half. So, uh, yeah, like I said, disappointing that they they lost, but you know, there's plenty there's plenty to look forward to. Okay, now I'm going to do this uh, before I forget because I can guarantee I will forget if we move on to our other point. Uh, but for the second season, we are going to be doing the Brisbane Football Review A-League Men's Player of the Year Award, and we will do the same for the women's team as well, but their season doesn't get underway for another fortnight. Uh, so the way we do that, uh, well, we did that last year, and I'm assuming it will be the same system this year. The three of us all yes. give our 3-2-1 votes at the end of every game. One set of votes will be published on the, will be announced on the show the following week, with the full results declared at the end of the season. However, if you are interested in uh, tracking as the season goes along, I can guarantee that uh, Riku Danzaki will not be defending his title from the 2021 <laughs> season because, well, he's not a Brisbane Raw player in case you missed it. And based on some of the comments on the internet, there were some people who uh, claimed to be big Raw fans that just didn't know the league had started again. Huge fans, really. Okay. So, uh, I will be going first because Scott told me I was going first via message about two minutes ago. My general rule uh, when giving out the three points is not to give it to a substitute unless they do something really, really good in this game. Luke Ivanovic did something really, really good. I thought he absolutely changed the game for the better for the Raw. He's got my three points. Jay O'Shea uh, grew into the game, should have had two assists, had to settle for one. And at the back, Scott Neville had some phenomenal phenomenally crucial interventions as well so he gets one point for me scott and adam have cast their votes one of you two can go next week um but on luke ivanovich let's hear what warren moon had to say on him after yeah, the game I thought he was really good when he came on made an impact and uh he's a good player and that's why we wanted him at brisbane um and i made the point as well i think sydney's a great club and i think the, the, the difficulty with a young player like Luke is finding that opportunity when you've got players of such high calibre there. Uh, but we recognise his talents and we think he can do very well for us. And once again, that was from the press conference after the game, I believe. Yes, it was. Okay. The third and final uh, area we've really got to uh, cover after the first and second half is also the fact that the Raw had to travel on the day of game, which means... It was a very, very long day uh, for the players, staff, and all others involved with the club who had to fly down to Melbourne, stay in what was, for all intents and purposes, a hermetically sealed bubble like on Seinfeld. And uh, it did. I honestly, I'm a little bit surprised that the Raw didn't look anywhere near as sluggish as I thought they would, Adam. Look, it's actually quite amazing, um, given sort of, you know, the time they started. Um, and like I said, it was a, f- a fascinating uh, insight. If, you, if uh, those, who, those who follow um, club CEO David Pure on, um, on Facebook, he did pretty much a social media diary all day from the time he woke up to the time he, they, the team returned to Brisbane. And, um, yeah, it's um, the fact that, yeah, that they're... What they went through, I thought, you know, that that's certainly something, you know, that I don't think that you want to be repeating too often as far as, as you know, the preparation, because that, that's got to be tough. Uh, any, anyone that's done done that, sort of, I guess even on general, even going on a holiday where you're travelling all day, um, it, it's, it's tough. Little known then going out there at that night and then going to play, you know, a, a professional football game. So I think credit to the boys that you know, you know how they handle themselves. Um, obviously, the rule, the reason behind that is due to Queensland's um, uh, border restrictions, and um, and yeah, like so. Then after that, they get to, got to spend forty eight hours in home quarantine. Well, at least they were able to rest on the couch for forty eight hours. I'm sure. 
But uh, look, it's been it's been a while. I've kind of forgotten what it was like doing anything more than just a drive anywhere. I don't know. How about you, Scott? Yeah, it's similar. I will say, isn't <laughs> it's very similar to what the NRL players have had to go through in the last couple of years, isn't it? As well, mm. I think. And the think AFL. Last last year, the AFL when they were going, to, I think it was South Australia or West Australia, one of the two. They had to actually stay at the stadium as well on a fly-in, fly-out situation. So it's it's a similar blueprint to what we've seen in the winter football codes. It's certainly a first in the A-League that a team has had to go through something like this. But And it, Adam's right, it was great to see that insight from David Pure, actually, to see the sort of detail and plan that went into an exercise like that. But it's something the Royal going to have to get used to, isn't it? We know they're going to have to do it again this weekend when they go down to Melbourne Victory. When they go down to Geelong in Round 4 of Western United, they're going to have to do the same thing again. So... They're going to become a bit of an expert at this in the first month of the season, aren't they, James, before things hopefully open up again at some point in mid-December? It's such a rough position to be in as well, and unfortunately it is still one of the major lingering effects where the leagues have to try and make these uh, really tough logistical decisions. And uh, we'll actually now hear uh, from the Raw about the uh, logistical decisions that went into having to travel on game day. Yeah, massively. I mean, I... I don't know what to say. I'm still, you know, it's, it's no shock that when the draw came out officially six or seven weeks ago, you know, Brisbane Raw asked the questions of the league and the, the government. And uh, I think it wasn't until Tuesday that we had a definitive answer of what we were doing. And um, so I'm gobsmacked, really. I, I don't know what to say about it. You know, I've come from the NPL where we would travel the day before because we know that's best practice yet in the A-League where we're... Uh, for round one against one of the best teams in the land, we're uh, travelling and not arriving into Melbourne till three o'clock in the afternoon. So, um, you know, we could have sat here and not said anything, but uh, uh, I just, yeah, I really don't know uh, what to say about it. It's disappointing. So it really is a tough position to find themselves in, Adam. It is, and um, it's it's a hard one because I know, um, sort of, you know, especially. Uh, some of the comments that that, um, that Dave made in obviously in the post there that obviously that you know, it was tough and you know, it's sort of in a way it was unfair but then again um, it's one of those things where do you, do you want the situation where like like we had last season where that you know games were you know, being postponed which meant there's going to be you know loading on the back end you know where you basically the raw would face a similar scenario where they played, you know, seven games in 21 days. And, and it's, like I said, it's, it's a no-win situation. Like, you can't blame Melbourne City for this. You can't, and you can't even even blame, you know, the APL as well. It's one of those situations that's created by a situation at the time. Um, like I said, the, the most likelihood is that they're going to have to go through this again this Sunday against Melbourne Victory. And, yeah, I think it's one of those ones that it's, it's not it's not fair on the raw, but it's also not fair. It's also not their um their fault, and obviously it's the the it's the government yeah you know, at the moment and their health orders at the moment that's that's causing this. And, and you don't want to get a situation where raw basically have to reschedule three of their first four games because of this. For me, uh, my big takeaway from all those posts and just the overall commentary on having to travel after the on the day of the game, it wasn't so much that they had to do it in round one. I think it's the fact that they have to do it in three out of the first four weeks. That was my big takeaway from it as well. And, you know, there is a chance that if uh, people keep going and getting the um, vaccination rates up to the point where they may be able to fly down to Melbourne and just be a little bit more flexible in terms of logistics for that round four clash with uh, Western United. But I compl- I, I'm completely on board. I think it's absolutely insane and unfortunately, it is really just a byproduct of the situation that they've got to do it three out of the first four weeks. Isn't just quickly the argument of oh, why didn't they just stay in Melbourne? Well, because they stay in Melbourne for any length of period over that. They were down there for, they would have had to do even longer quarantine when they got back. So that's why they weren't able to just stay in Melbourne. But James, on the actual effect it had on the pitch, you mentioned they weren't didn't seem all that sluggish. I thought in the first 10, 15 minutes, there was a little, few signs of that. They, were, they struggled to get going. And maybe that is why Melbourne City were able to to control the game in the first part of the match. And once once the Raw got themselves going, you could see they got better and better as the game was going on. So maybe there were slight signs of it. Maybe it wasn't in terms of it affected them at the back end of the game. Maybe it hurt them at the front end of the game. Yeah, that's what, that's entirely possible as well. And I, 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 I want to move on now because we have been going on this game for quite a while, but what the hell else are we going to talk about? Uh, 
I, I do just want to leave uh, with a question to you for the answer first, Scott. But had the roar of postponed, had the Melbourne victory game this Sunday postponed to later in the season, meaning you've got to play a midweek match down there, would you have been okay with it? Like, but then you've still got to do the tr- day of game travel twice. So, you, so two, one of the three games gets moved to a later date. Yes, when the border restrictions are a little bit more flexible. That would probably be more palatable. Yeah, Adam. Uh, look, uh, I, I I refer to my original point that I don't think Raw would want to get in a situation where if they if even even one game at the moment they don't you don't want to be behind the eight balls far as your games played not not this early on. Um, you, you saw what the Perth Glory last year, uh, but basically you. Once you sort of get behind, you know, the game's played, it's very hard to know where you are in the season in terms of, you know, you know where, where you're at in the ladder, you know, and just in general sense. So I don't, I think, I think it's a case of they're going to have to put up with it. Because I, I, I just don't think they, you want to get a situation where you, you postpone this game to, you know, April or, you know, March, and then have to travel midweek down to Melbourne. I think at this early stage of the season, I think you've got to do everything you can to try and, you know, get these games played. And that's, and that's the unfortunate thing about it. You know, easier said than done, but I think this is what we've got to deal with at the moment. Fair enough. All right, well, uh, that's been and done, and I probably should also just say, thinking out loud as well, talking about fixture postponement, the Royal probably should uh, leave a couple up their sleeve considering the apparently apocalyptic rain that is going to hit uh, the eastern seaboard over the next several months, because we all know what uh, the pitch at Morton Daly Stadium can do uh, on those heavy uh, rain days. So, well, I lost yeah. one game last year because of a rain out up there, so that's a very good point. Yeah, and again, this is just what happens when I'm looking at the clouds moving over the sky out my window. Anyway, rest of round one. Uh, quick recap of the results. Scoreless draw between Sydney FC and the Western Sydney Wanderers. The Popovich effect got three points over the Aloisi effect. Uh, Perth Glory and Adelaide United drew 1-1 as Daniel Sturridge made a cameo. Central Coast, maybe not as bad as we thought they were going to be. 2-1 winners in the F3 derby. And honours were shared between MacArthur and Wellington in a game that was rescheduled at late notice. But apparently apparently that's no excuse for a poor attendance in a completely different city from where the club is based. Don't you love the internet, Scott? Oh, it's wonderful, isn't it? I mean, uh, that was quite bizarre, wasn't it? The fact that the MacArthur game got moved very, very late. It was Friday night that was announced. It was moved because of issues with the playing surface there in MacArthur. And I think they moved it to... Was it the, the second game of the doubleheader? Oh, I didn't see the game on Sunday. It was the second game of the doubleheader, right? So it wasn't the... I can't imagine the field was that great in Newcastle by the end of it. It certainly would have been better than it would have been in Campbelltown. But in general, it was a pretty good first round, wasn't it? A lot of, a lot of good football played and some, some interesting scorelines. I can only assume that it was moved... Because uh, that just saved them having to try and uh, find another stadium to hire and get everything up to the uh, necessary requirements with lighting and whatnot. But uh, yeah, overall, I think my biggest positive on the pitch uh, from round one was the fact that there wasn't anything overly memorable. I'm not going to remember, you know, round one, 2021-22 season for anything specific that, you know, there was no late winner in any of the local derbies. There wasn't any, you know, aside from the uh, lack of VAR in the Raw game, you know, a major talking point that, you know, will have everyone up in arms all season. It, there wasn't anything memorable, but I still enjoyed the opening weekend. And I think that and that was the most fo- uh, A-League football I've watched in a single weekend in quite a while. Yeah, look, I think... Um... Yeah, the nil all draw in the Sydney Derby, which you know obviously was the big, the big prime time game on ten, and you know, obviously the naysayers after the game said, you know, coming out on on Twitter and saying, oh, you know, it's almost typical Australian football that you know the first prime time game free to wear in a long time finishes in a nil all draw. It well, was. The game wasn't that bad. <laughs> it was a good the game. The game was actually wasn't that bad. It was just that you couldn't find you couldn't find a winner. The atmosphere was great. It, you know, we're starting to get Sydney derbies again, feeling like derbies. Um, but um, yeah, but that's a, for mine. That's a double-edged sword. I think that we have in um, Australian football is that with with the fact of you know you know you do have these showpiece games in week one, you know, and then you run the risk of you know because obviously the players aren't up to you know their full you know, full running yet as far as you know at their top 
peak of their powers. Like you never, you never see in in uh, in the Premier League, you never see a Manchester derby or a Merseyside derby or one of the big clashes on opening weekend. Because for that simple fact is that you know sometimes uh, early on in the season these big games end up being you know nil all draws. So, um, but then again for here in Australia. The double-edged sword is the fact is that if you have the opening weekend, especially with the change of broadcast and everything, having no nothing but meaningless, almost meaningless games as far as no rivalry, no no build, then you're not going to get anyone. Like the the ratings for um, the the Sydney Derby, 146,000 on 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 ten, so which is bigger than you know, anything that you know they've had a long time for the A League in a home and away season. Yeah, I think you have to have one, at least one big game on the Saturday night to launch the A-League Week 1. That's the, the trade-off, of course, is that teams aren't necessarily ready for it. I thought the game was actually a really good game. It wasn't a nil-all snooze-fest game, James. It was. It might have been nil-all, but it wasn't nil-all for lack of trying, and there was some really good stuff. It was actually good to see Jack Robwell speaking of Premier League players. That's the only Premier League mention I'm going to have this week. But it was good to see him come on and have an impact as well because there were questions over what he had left to bring in. And so, first influence, he looks quite good for Western Sydney, so... It looks like they've got a really good squad down there and we'll see what happens. But although that was a really good first up game on Channel 10. It was. And, you know, I, I feel like just knowing how things run here that uh, the nil or draw was pretty much the only likely outcome. I, yeah, I, I'm trying to find the right way to say that. It's a nice reminder that, yes, you don't need goals to be entertaining. I was surprisingly uh, into the Perth-Adelaide game getting uh, worked up at the sneaky, dirtiest player in the league, Isais, featuring again, um, and also seeing uh, Diamante forgetting that the ball was in play to go scream at the referee because he didn't get uh, his way. But, yeah, it, it was good to have it back, and, yeah, I, I, I was quite happy with it. Um, we all had a few little talking points that we wanted to get to. So, Adam, uh, we'll let you tee off first. What was your first big takeaway from round one or was that kind of it with the uh scheduling of the big games first up uh look it was but uh i'll also um sort of quickly sort of uh you know preface that as well say that it looks like this season so far that it looks like that all all 12 teams look to be rel- relatively close you didn't see already signs that there's a team that is either vastly superior to everyone else or vastly inferior. So it looks like at the moment, whenever all the teams have got their full squads, granted that, you know, obviously teams got to play each other and, you know, obviously you're not going to crown Central Coast, for example, as a, as a champions right now based on beating Newcastle. But uh, at the moment, it looks like that, you know, it, it's a fairly sort of, you know, competitive league, at least for the first part. And we'll see how that sort of develops over time. Scott, what about you? I disagree with that. I thought the league showed it was very, very even. I think it's, I think that's what can't we said in the preview last week when we were doing our table predictions, wasn't it, James? That there's a, there's a half dozen teams, if not more, which are going to be very, very even with each other, and it's going to come down to fine margins between every game. And I, th- I think that was clearly evident in round one. For sure, uh, my big takeaway from round one, you know, unsurprisingly, revolved around the broadcasting, and I think. It does show just how unforgiving the Australian football public is because, <laughs> look, no one no one at Channel 10 or CBS or Paramount, whatever, is going to say that it was a flawless opening weekend for them because it wasn't. There were issues all over, uh, all, all over really, you know, so, uh, VAR not working, obviously. Um, the transmission issues with the camera out at Geelong on Saturday night. Uh, some of the pictures just didn't quite work but find me a streaming service that uh actually you know was working perfectly from day one because like it also showed to me just how readily everyone has uh been willing to forgive optus based on the number of comments i saw saying why don't you give everything to optus because they do it well you're going to have to have a little bit of patience here because there are going to be some you know kind of understandable teething issues because there is a lot of technology are being put into place at the moment. Yeah, well, I can't speak to the problems around Optus because I never had that, but I certainly remember the issues around the World Cup. We saw SBS pick up all the games, but I do think it was kind of predictable, wasn't it, that there was going to be teething problems with the broadcasting in the first couple of weeks, and the Raw game being first up made it an interesting situation given they were the first thing to... And I think that 
for me, it worked fine from my end, so I had no issues with it for the, for most of the weekend. My only drama with it was I couldn't find the um the show between this the the um Sydney Derby and the Perth Adelaide. I couldn't find that anywhere on Paramount Plus, so that was my own issue. But it seems like again, you have, you, there's always going to be these problems. I think in terms of the on air, James, what they put actually on television with the pre-game presentation and the post-game presentation was really good. I thought the analysis they provided and the people they had on there were really, really good. It's just the back-end stuff, which was always going to be an issue that was going to take time, and I'm sure they'll get it right eventually, but it might take a couple of weeks. That, that's pretty much all I can echo there is, yeah, it is going to take a couple of weeks. There are going to be some technological gremlins here and there as they work their way through a lot of these issues, but what I will say, like for an absolute pro that she is, I was amazed at how just nervous Tara Rushton seemed uh, hosting the pregame show for the Sydney Derby, but I think that was just mostly down to adrenaline, and you could see that she was really excited about uh, what was happening, having you know the A-League on the feature channel of a free-to-air network being produced by said network. You could, I, I, I thought it was actually really you know good to see how, it, like how much adrenaline there still was for a lot of the panelists because for them you know. It would have, like, not just Tara Russian, but a lot of those uh, people wondering, am I act- like, what's going to happen in the post Fox Sports world? Yeah, look, that's the thing is that I just think that, yeah, admittedly, you know, Paramount Plus, it didn't, it didn't sort of, you know, perform as well as they like. But again, I think you said at the top, it's a streaming service. So obviously, people still haven't worked around the fact or have realised the fact is that, you know, with streaming. Your 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 vision is actually you know, is only as good as your internet connection. You can't go and blame Paramount Plus if your internet connection is is on the blink. You know, I know admittedly that there were issues surrounding the um the game in Geelong. Uh, I know that uh, Paramount Plus's uh, social media team got absolutely got absolutely hammered over the fact that oh the Geelong game. That's how merciless uh, the moods. So- soccer Twitter was in. Uh, so, my sincere yeah. sympathies to uh, the social media team who ha- were having to deal with that on Saturday night. I've been there in my day job. It is not fun. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that, that's how merciless and uh, upset uh, Soccer Twitter was. But yeah, look, it's, it's one of those things. It, teething problems are going to happen. And um, it, almost, it almost startled me that, you know, that there were some people on social media which I almost couldn't believe that was saying, oh, you should have kept it on Fox. I would much rather a, you know, a, I guess what, a underworking, you know, platform from Paramount Plus, from from 10, you know, Viacom CBS, you know, at least trying, and there's room to improve, rather than going back to Fox Sports, who last year phoned it in. And the year before that, and the year before that. And uh, also having the, um, the some of the higher ups at Fox Sports actual like actively slagging off the league on Twitter on the weekend, not not knowing what was going on, but uh, you wouldn't know the A League had started based on the Fox Sports website. What was troubling for me was the fact that like, after all this build up, all this promotion, all these posts, not just from you know the official accounts on the eight, excuse me, on the, from the A League, from the clubs, from just general fans saying, oh, I can't wait to see what's on Channel 10 and Paramount+. Plus. It's just how many people expected to log on Friday night and just be able to flick a switch and watch the games? Or how many people are surprised that a subscription service might require it being paid for? That was just unbelievable. My favourite uh, comment, comment I saw, I won't name names, but seeing someone complaining that they had no clue that the league was on 10 and Paramount+, Plus. Uh, wondering why they couldn't find it on Fox Sports. Um, someone asked, oh, did you... Thanks did you... for redacting my name from that comment, James. I appreciate it. <laughs> and so, yeah, then someone asking, have you not seen all the promotion on Channel 10 or the ads? And the response was, no, I don't watch Channel 10. What about the Matildas game last month? Oh, I watched that. So, yeah, there was... Uh... <laughs> Look, there was some uh, real... Let's be honest. Technological... There's a lot of positives in what they're doing, though, isn't it? With the promotion yes. and the effort they're putting into it is really, mm. really encouraging. It's just, it's just those back of house issues which were always going to be an issue. Once they get those right, I think they're onto a winner with this. I think it's, I think it can actually be. I'd love to know what the ratings were actually on Paramount, but 
the first indication of the Channel 10 game in particular were really, really encouraging. Yeah, and this is a, this is going to be a slow build uh, project. This isn't going to be an overnight fix. Like it seems like plenty of people were expecting it to be, and that's where I kind of feel like the messaging going forward really needs to be around. Have some patience. We will get there because this isn't just going to be you know snap your fingers and everything's going to be solved. Another thing that won't be solved uh, with a snap of the fingers will be the expansion of the uh, competitions, both men's and women's. And a story came out earlier this week featuring quotes from APL President and Sydney FC CEO Danny Townsend saying that the APL has stated our objective is to get a full home and away season with either 14 or 16 teams, depending on the outcome of the strategic plans. The strategic review will be taking place over the next few months, possibly with the league expanding as early as next season. Now, we have done, I would say, double-digit expansion segments on this show. Mm. So we'll try and keep this as quick as possible, but... I do want to, uh, I'll lead this one off and say, for me, yeah, you need to get to at least 14 teams as soon as possible to get rid of the in-balance schedule because right now it has to be a 26-game competition to meet AFC regulations. This isn't a case of trying to give certain teams uh, easier fixturing. It's a case of actually being able to qualify for the Asian Champions League. Secondly, and my, my theory on this is, well, well, I mentioned it earlier in the week anyway. Open it up for bids. Say, all right, we're taking uh, two teams on as soon as they're ready. And if there are four good bids, we're taking four teams. Don't limit yourself like you have last time because there are any number of markets that uh, could warrant a new team, Scott. There is. Uh, firstly, I think the issue around the fact they need more teams is accurate. And I did see, oh, the, the draw isn't the draw isn't rigged. Well, that's just simply not true because the... They do play each other twice, and the additional third games, James, they're not. It's not like it's based on league position, where if you finish first, you play second from the year before, and all the rest. So it's purely around TV ratings. So there's all the, the third games are always things like the Sydney derbies, etc. So the sooner they can even out the schedule and have it pure home and away, the better. So whenever they can get to that, it'd be good. In terms of how they do it, I tend to agree with you. I think don't limit yourself to a particular idea of what you want. Because I think it's fair to say that the most recent round of expansion has been an unmitigated disaster. Neither of those two teams have added a terrible amount to the league, it's fair to say. And at the moment, they're both struggling to gain relevancy in their particular cities. And they certainly haven't... I don't see the Western Sydney-Melbourne Victory derby on Saturday night gaining a terrible amount of interest from the Melbourne Victory angle of it. I don't see Western Sydney treating MacArthur as a rival necessarily. I think they treat them about the same as the Mariners. So it hasn't added to them what they wanted. So they need to be very, very strategic in what they do. And I think, to your point, find the right bids. Find the bids that are well-resourced and the people who want to do this. And I think if if they at all can do it, go with established clubs. So I think, with, I think the Australian football fraternity has shown we don't want any more franchises, quote-unquote. We want football clubs. And there's a lot of really good clubs out there that exist in the NPL who would be able to step up into regions. So, for example, everyone's saying Wollongong. Well, you don't need to create a new Wollongong team. There's a very good one there already. That's one example. And look, I'm not going to go through the Queensland stuff again. We've been through this, I think, what, a dozen times, like you said, but there's a lot of options you could go with. But just just think about it and find the right option and go with it. But do it in a collaborative way and to let people put their case forward and choose the best ones. Yeah, look, I, I can't have much more of that. So we we, I, we collectively have been very very clear about what you know we what sort of we we think our on expansion, and that's that's again, and you know it's a case of don't put bids in, like don't take teams just for the sake of it. We don't want you know franchises anymore. We want established clubs. The only thing I will say to that is that I know there's a big push for Tasmania, there's a big push for Canberra, and all that. That you know. At the end of the day, the APL and and FA, because Football Australia need you know, have, have a say in this as well. They need to do their due diligence, and that's and that's not only just from a you know from from just a, from a financial point of view, but it's sort of as well you know amongst all things, you know, very very similar to what the five criteria of the um, AFC licensing go goes for. But there is no there. I don't see anything wrong with you know having you know, you know, having you know established teams, you know, be it mergers, 
be it you know, be it you know, straight out you know, teams that have a history like a Wollongong Wolves, um, and, and and go from there. But I think that it's clear is that you know the league needs to expand uh, as soon as possible. And you know what? If don't don't limit yourself to two. You need, like I said, if there's four great bids, go four. I think everyone everyone will be very supportive of that. Because then also, if you do bring in four clubs and some of the uh, other sides aren't necessarily pulling their weight, we won't name any names, you can at least then, like, you're not then leaving yourself uh, with a drop-off. Scott, uh, Scott, just want to say this and then we'll go to you and then we'll move on because we are starting to get a little pressed for time. Uh, my, yeah, my expansion preference is in rough order. Canberra, Tasmania, somewhere in southeast Queensland, Brisbane, Gold Coast, Ipswich, Sunshine Coast, Auckland, Adelaide 2, Perth 2. And as for franchises versus new clubs, I really couldn't care less either way. If the best bid is a new uh, entity, whether it's, you know, Canberra FC uh, or a men's version of Canberra United from the A-League women's, take them. If the best bid in southeast Queensland is Gold Coast United or Western Pride, take them. It doesn't, like... It, and it's along the same message we've just been harping on about for the last five or so minutes. Yeah. Take the best bids. Yeah. Scott, last thought, then we'll move on. Yeah, I think Canberra United is an established club. That was one thing I was going to say. I consider that to be an established club. They've been around for, what, nearly 15 years now in the A-League women's competition. That's an established club. But Tasmania might be, to Adam's point, the one example of where a franchise might work because it's probably not an established club down there. And if, they're, if Tasmania is going to enter the A-League men's competition at the highest level... That might be the only way to do it, but in terms of preferences, to your point, I agree with the ones you listed, James. The four you mentioned is the way I'd probably go with it as well. Queensland, Tasmania, ACT, and and then Auckland, perhaps, if they can get it right. And also... South Hobart begs to disagree about not being an established club. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, the only other point I would make about Tasmania as well is this is where some smart lobbying would come in handy because we keep hearing the Tasmanian government saying, well, if we can't get an AFL team, we'll build a stadium for a football team. All right. Call a bluff. Now, uh, the A-League women's preparations continue with a game against an Olympic side on Sunday at Goodwin Park. They played. That's about as much information as we have been able to get. Uh, And we will take a quick plug for our A-League women's season preview. That will be coming soon as well. And it will be one of the more comprehensive ones you will find as we bring you up-to-date squad information and predictions for the coming season. One up-to-date thing as well for this weekend. Melbourne Victory will be taking on Brisbane Raw in round two of the A-League men's competition. It'll be a 3.05 Brisbane time kickoff down at Amy Park. Record against victory, 49 played, 17 wins, 23 draws, 9 defeats. And the record at Amy Park is, yep, still rubbish. There's really no other way to describe it. Uh, Scott, House of Horrors, any chance they can get something from this? It's, look, it would be really beneficial if they could, just because I'm sick of talking about it. To mention just how bad the Royals record is down in Melbourne, played 41, won 7. That's it, that's it. Amy Park, Docklands, and the old Olympic Park where victory started out. So their record in Victoria is frankly atrocious. I think they actually can do something in this game, though, because they were really good down there last weekend, weren't they? And victory are playing tonight or Wednesday night, depending on when you listen to this, over in Adelaide in the FFA Cup. So they have had a busier week, so that will affect them. I think they can get something out of the game that are in this, in this thing. So I think their record in Melbourne is atrocious, but when they tend to win down there, it tends to be against victory. So... But it might it might be this weekend. There's sort of no sort of uh, form line, but you take confidence to say that if you can be competitive against Melbourne City, despite the rebuild of that Melbourne victory has gone on, you'd really take your chances of not only getting a point, but perhaps all three points, just based on what you've seen from week one. Like, uh, Melbourne victory were look they were okay against uh, West United. Obviously they 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 picked up all three points thanks to a Roderick Miranda header in about the 80th minute. Um, so, but other than that, it was fairly even against um, West United. So, if they play like they did and come out you know with a more you know, positive attitude as far as you know trying to take control of the game early uh, and play like they did against Melbourne City against victory on Sunday, look I reckon they I reckon they're a chance. You have free run of the six-yard box there too, by the way, the victory defender. So hopefully the Raw learn from that. Don't leave him free on the edge of the six-yard mm. box at the front post. So 
if you for me, like this game just boils down to one simple area defense. If you're the sort of football fan who you know might be uh, likened to a goldfish who needs uh, plenty of goals flying in, this may not be the game for you. I think you've got two sides that are very strong defensively. I'm expecting both of these teams to you know really set up and try and win this game at the back and just make sure that you know primarily they keep the other side as uh, limited in attack as possible. I just, yeah, I can't see a whole lot of games for this. Unfortunately for me going forward, especially if Juan Lascano is not ready to go, you've got the likes of Chris Economides, who, for me, is probably going to be the best player on the pitch, at least when you're just looking at it on paper. And that's where I kind of feel like the Raw may need one of those performances where the sum of the parts will be greater than the whole. Probably is also worth mentioning, they did win 3-1 at Amy Park last year as well, but that was an absolute mess of a victory team. And... I'm, I'm not going to back against Tony Popovich. I think he's too good a manager, especially getting those quick rebuilds on the clubs as well. Uh, yeah, I think best case scenario for the Raw is this may finish as a 1-1 draw because, yeah, I just... I, I just see this being a real grind of a uh, game that probably is going to lead to a lot of frustration this time next week. See, I think they can get me out of this game quite comfortably. Apparently, Lascano was very, very close to being involved last week. wasn't involved. He's going to... Supposedly going to be back. Jez Lofthouse could be back, so they'll have some extra attack. I don't think Aldred will be back. We'll have to wait and see. But I think they can get something out of this game. I think I think victory. It's going to take them some time. There's going to be a lot of pressure and expectation on this game. This is the first game of the Tony Popovich era at Amy Park. It'll be a big crowd there, so it's again, it's a bit of a tough spot for the Raw to walk into. You would have preferred to play them maybe in a few weeks once they've had this first up occasion, but. I still think they can get something out of this game if they play as well as they did against Melbourne City on Friday night. So I think there's plenty of opportunity here for the Raw. Well, okay, that probably will change my overall opinion of uh, how strong of a chance the Raw are if Lascano is able to play because he will give them that big-bodied outlet that Demi is eventually, you know, going to, I feel, grow into, but right now isn't quite up to the challenge and... Let's be honest, like, there is nobody that knows defending better than Tony Popovich in terms of A-League managers. So, yeah, that that's where I'm kind of feeling a little bit pessimistic about their chances here. Adam? Yeah, he summed up perfectly about Tony Popovich coach teams. Um, they're built from the back. Um, they're always going to be tight. Look, I, I think I think Raw 1-0, I think that's that's where I'm sort of my head sinking. I think it's going to be a really tight, you know, you know, slog fest of a game that yeah, it's not gonna, it's not gonna make too many highlight reels. But I think yeah, I will be maybe one decisive moment. And uh, yeah, look, I reckon it might be the raw that may just shade it on on the uh, on the day. Well, don't I seem like a miserable prick all of a sudden? <laughs> what else is new though? Nah. I tend to agree with Adam. I was going to say one nil as well for my prediction. I think it's going to be one of those games where it'll be really tight and tense, and just be one moment that goes their way. Well, the good news is the uh, Melbourne weather is looking quite pleasant for Sunday, 22 and mostly sunny. So we should be in for a fantastic afternoon of football. And we can only hope that not only do the uh, Raw come ready to put on a performance, but also that the Victory fans are there to really uh, add to some atmosphere on the game because the 7,500 City fans there last week could only do so much. That's all I'm going to leave it at. Uh, the other round. There's also seagulls, so it's hard to get actors to put out of seagulls and. I don't know. Plastic just throw... chairs and other such. So. I don't know. Throw a few chips around, see what happens. The other round two games: uh, Western United hosting Perth Glory on Friday. Saturday, the action actually kicks off with the Matildas hosting the United States in the first of the friendlies we discussed on our national team special with Alex from the Queensland Socceroos fans. Uh, then. Back to the A-League men's, you've got Wellington, Central Coast, the doubleheader, Adelaide, Melbourne City, and Sydney, MacArthur. And then Sunday, after the Raw, it's Western Sydney against Newcastle. Uh, something we will have to put a pin in for next week, uh, both of your opinions on how the simultaneous kickoffs worked. Uh, spoiler alert, I was fine with it. But, and again, that's just me. We'll get into that a little bit more next weekend. Scott, what are we going to be talking about this time next Wednesday? A raw win in Melbourne. Adam? And maybe a goal from one of the young guys. Let's say uh, Demi. There we go. Adam, what about you? Uh, 
Raw breached the uh, victory wall to record a their first three points of the season. I'm going to say we'll be talking about Macklin Freak, despite being on the wrong end of the scoreboard, having a very solid effort uh, with a couple of spectacular saves to deny Chris Economides. So there we go. I'm still trying to step a glass half full. Very specific? Well, I try and get as specific as possible. I do what I can. Yeah, we don't sit on the fence like you do around here, Adam. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I will also just... Uh, yeah, so I, I I did tip Melbourne victory in my preview for work, so... Oh, God. It's going to be... Send a, your hate mail, too. Yeah. Oh, trust me, we got plenty of that already. Anyway, that's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review on Clutch. Thank you, Scott. Good talk to you again, James. Adam? Thank you, Adam. Thank you, gentlemen. Yes, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, thanks to Clutch and A-League Live and everyone else for listening. Plenty of football coming your way this weekend. Enjoy the A-League men's. Enjoy the Matildas. We'll be back to recap it all next Wednesday. This has been the Brisbane Football Review. We'll talk to you then.